for this podcast and the following message come from Allianz Travel Insurance. Are you planning two or more trips in the next 365 days? An all-trip annual travel insurance plan can protect all of your adventures for less. Get a quote at AllianzTravelInsurance.com. And welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. It's going to be an exciting show because we have one of the biggest names in travel on today. She is Samantha Brown. You know her. You love her. She was on the Travel Channel forever. Now she's on PBS with an incredible new show, which is called Places to Love. Hey, Samantha, welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. Hi, Pauline. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to hear your voice. And I got to say, I was, I can't say flipping through the Washington Post because I read it online, but I guess I was digitally flipping through the Washington Post. And there you were. You wrote a wonderful column in the travel section. It's called The Surprising Reason You Should Travel With Your Kids. Now, I got to tell you, my father, whenever he was asked by people whether or not one should travel with kids, his response was always, don't waste the money. <laughs> I, I guess I guess I was hell on wheels to travel with. Um, you know, I, apparently I was a little angel in all the cheap restaurants, but whenever they decided to splurge and take me somewhere nice, I would, you know, shut down the place with my wailing and I, I peed and pooped in, in very inconvenient places and, and did all the things that you're worried your child will do when you're on the road. Sure. But I'm guessing from the headline of this article that you disagree with him. I do. And, you know, I think our fathers would get along very well. My father, I remember asking him uh, when I was an adult, I was like 18, why they, he never took uh, me and my sisters to Disney World. And he said, as dry as could be and fully, you know, full of truth, just said, because you didn't deserve it. <laughs> Ooh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I think it was um, our fathers aside, they were, they were both lovely yeah. men. I love them both. I love your dad. Awesome. You know, there's, well, he loves you. I'll send him your best. Please do. You know, I think it's something, it's a child psychologist told me this, Pauline, and it was well before I had kids, but boy, did it all of a sudden make so much clear to me. And um, the child psychologist said that memories of travel for a child are stronger than other really important times and dates in their lives, like their own birthdays and their own graduations. And one of the reasons why this is so is that when you travel with your kids, it allows your kids to see you be a kid and yeah. what that does for their sense of love and most importantly, security um, is immeasurable. And, and this is what you know, the psychiatrists know. And they said, basically, what those memories do is they form this foundation, these building blocks that are there that uphold the family during really difficult times. Oh. And um, and so when things get tough for a family, these are the the this is the foundation that the child can fall back on and say no, but I'm loved. And um, I just that just I it, it was like this epiphany. It was like oh my goodness, because right then I remembered Pauline that 
for my sisters and I, we still talk about this today that our fondest memories of travel were going to Cape Cod and we would just stay like in a motor lodge. My parents were Uh middle income. And at one night out of the entire week, we were in Cape Cod, we would go and have hot fudge sundaes for dinner. And to see (laughs) my parents um, enjoy ice cream the way I enjoyed ice cream, um, it really, I really saw my mother in a different way. And it was just this little thing that I, and that's what we remember. My, my sister is in her sixties. I'm in my mid fifties. My younger sister's in her late forties. And we still always laugh about this. And now we incorporate that into our vacations with our kids. So, um, you know, it's not about um, going to Disney world and spending thousands of dollars. It's nothing to do with that. It is just about relaxing and remembering what this is about. This is not about you being the parent, you know, creating that schedule, making sure everyone's there, chop, chop. It's about you relaxing and having a good time in the eyes of your child. Because I guess when you do that with your child, you, your, your relationship forms another layer. Is it that they can they can see themselves in you more easily when you're playful, do you think? I, you know, I'm not, I don't know that much about it. I just think, yeah, I think it's this, I think it's this relatability. All of a sudden, you know, we, we, as parents, I don't think we understand how serious we come across to our kids, right? Yeah. I don't think, and there are times where I'm like, oh my gosh, like lighten up, Samantha. And, um, (laughs) you know, because we, and especially on a vacation where, now it feels like there's so much at stake. And I know moms especially hold this burden of making sure everyone has an amazing time. And we tend to forget that that weight um, is visible when we're on a vacation and that it's really important for us to maybe take a lot of that weight off and just mm-hmm. have ice cream for dinner, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I, when I'm traveling, I try and take the weight off other parents. If I see a mother with a new baby, mm-hmm. I smile at that baby. Uh-huh. I play peekaboo because I know probably that baby is more likely to act badly on the plane if she feels, if he or she feels that the mom is stressed. Oh, it's so so if you can, if you can show some compassion for the mom and show them that you're happy that they're there, yeah. I think it, it, it leads to good things. I think so too. And you, you I think, it, and very few people show compassion for moms. I always used to say, I'm like, everyone loves a pregnant woman. People loved me when I was pregnant, Pauline. <laughs> when I became a mother of small children, I got the looks, I got the judging, I got so much. And I think that's, you're, you're so right. Like have compassion for that mom. She is holding so much um, and even more when you are on a vacation. Yeah, she may be holding in her arms the doctor who saves your life mm-hmm. 20 years from now, or, you know, or the taxi driver who takes you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, those are people in our community uh, that are just starting out. So, you know, be compassionate. Mm-hmm. All right. You also give some very good tips on how to interact with travel in a more meaningful way with your kids along. You say that the most important oh, thing yeah, yeah. Uh, to do beyond being playful is don't overschedule your time. I think it's, uh, maybe it's obvious, but I don't know. Why is that? I think a lot of parents 
really want to make sure they see their their kids see, see and do all the important stuff. Why is that a mistake? Yeah, I think I think that's because there's this you know, what is that FOMO, fear of missing out and there's all this social media pressure that I even know parents with kids feel, you know, posting their vacation and they have to do all these things that show, hey, look, I'm doing it. I'm traveling with my kids. We're having cultural moments. We're having fun moments. And of course, then there's just making the most of the time that you have in this you know, particular destination. So I think for most of us, the best thing you can do is choose one major activity at the beginning of each day because everyone is well-rested, especially the adults. Mm. We have our coffee. We've had our yeah. breakfast. Head out. And um, don't sleep in, head out, like use that energy of the day because it's going to be diminishing returns throughout, right? And that might be different with teenagers. That's true. You're right. (laughs) They have to sleep in. Uh, Andrew McCarthy just put out the most gorgeous new book on walking the Camino with his teenage son. And you have to start early in the day on the Camino because the sun gets so hot in that part of, of Spain. He could never rouse his son. It just made me laugh as, as a <laughs> former mother of teenagers because, yeah, they're, they're dead to the world. So with smaller kids, That's true. Yeah. start the day quick. Start, start yeah. the day. And then, um, and then the afternoon, just kind of feel where you are. So I always mm-hmm. love uh, public playgrounds because the kids get to run around. And again, yeah, right. This is much more young because even when young kids, they feel that pressure to be behave, right? Whether right. you are in Washington, D.C. and you're at a museum at the Smithsonian or wherever, they have to be a certain way. So you have to have that outlet for them to just run and scream and jump. And then you can go maybe to a decent, halfway decent dinner without embarrassing your father, Pauline. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and you also say, create a ritual that might be a head scratcher for some of our, our listeners. What what does that mean? Yeah, this again, um, really, I really want people to stop feeling like they have to do new 10 new things every single day. And that's travel. It really isn't. And there's a lot of different energy levels that you have to accommodate, um, especially in a multi-generational trip. But um, uh, I think creating a ritual gives everyone that time just to be. So for it's interesting when I'm traveling alone, And this really works when you're in a place for more than three days, right? You really can't establish a ritual in two days, but maybe three or four days. So when I'm alone, it's a coffee shop that I'm going to begin my day at. And it's usually right around the corner from my hotel. And I just love it. It's my time. With kids, um, that ritual shifts to the afternoon. And now it's ice cream. I think everyone loves ice cream or cake or coffee, some sort of pick me up. And if you go to that same place... Every day, now you don't have that moment where you're, the kids are like, where are we? Where is this new place? What flavors do they have? Like all of a sudden you start to establish a norm and you know that your son likes, you know, mint chocolate chip and your, and your husband wants a mocha frap and uh, you want this. And, and you just know it's not this, right. like there's, there's a mental load, I feel, um, that becomes exhausting when you're traveling with a family and everything is new. And so not everything has to be a new experience. You can have those experiences like the same ice cream shop every day where you just know what you're going to order and where you want to sit before you even enter. And I think that becomes a real comfort to um, a family traveling together. 
Yeah, I got to say, ice cream is a, the magic wand. I was with my kids in Rome once at the height of the summer, oh. and I decided we should walk through the ancient ruins, and I would explain to them all the fascinating <laughs> things I know as a guidebook person. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the end of that day, I think I had plied them with six ice cream cones. <laughs> we were so sugar crazy by the time I tried to get them to sleep. Uh, but, it, you know, it worked. And I could tell them about the mice that were sold at the Coliseum as food for anyway. Um, so the last tip you give is look for the activities that locals do every day. Now, with kids, what do those consist of? Because I would think, you know, uh, going to the coffee shop, that's something that, that a local would do every day. But what do local families do every day? Uh, this is where um, I think public spaces really give us those clues. And whether you're in a big park, uh, the public park, or, you know, cities have so many fascinating public spaces now. They're not just relegated to parks. You have like here in, the New, in New York City, you have the High Line, which is phenomenal. Mm, yeah. And it's just this where everyone is invited to participate in the energy of the destination. And I love that. And so you see people just hanging out and, and, you know, walking their dogs. And for my kids, it's just being able to be with other people's dogs. And maybe there's a, a swing set that they can be on. I mean, my kids are at the age where they find big rocks. We were in Washington, D.C. recently, and they found those massive boulders that were outside of, I think, the Museum of Natural History. And they, they just played on them for like 30 yeah. minutes. And so you just kind of, I would say, let, let, let the kids take the lead and you follow. So instead of yeah. you being the leader, go to a park and see what's happening. And then you follow their lead because kids will go up to other kids. And then those kids have parents and... Maybe they have hmm. tight and now you're playing Frisbee and now you can get great information about like, hey, where should we eat tonight? You know, because you're in a local's destination. So you might as well right. ask them, I've got kids, you've got kids. Where do you go to eat for dinner? That's really fun. And and then you're going to get the best information as well. So it's a little bit twofold. You go to a an open area where kids can be kids um, right. and then you follow their lead. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I think in other um, cultures, more of daily life is lived outside. You know, you go to Italy, uh, you go to actually Croatia. The Croatian cities have an evening passeggiato where everybody gets out with their entire families and just walks and socializes. And it's, it's something that I wish we as Americans did more, that we lived more of our lives in these public spaces. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yes. It's a way to get to know your neighbors. Mm -hmm. So, I can't let you go without asking you about places to love. Where is, what season are you on right now? And, and what, are, what were some of the highlights that people can, can tune into? And finally, I know this is many questions at once. Where do they tune in? Oh, well, places to love. We are on season six and wow. you can find it on PBS or you can um, stream it directly from the past PBS Passport app or um, my my website, samantha-brown.com. Um, but it, it was a, a great season. We had uh, a lot of domestic locations, really easy de destinations for a lot of people to get, get to because we were still working through the pandemic, uh, sure. even last year. And I think our big 
international destination, finally at the uh, end of September, was Ireland. But I yeah. love this season because it really is about what is possible, right? It's not just these far off destinations that maybe not many people have access to, but there's a lot of phenomenal little jewels like St. Augustine, Florida, which is a great jewel. Um, Savannah, Chattanooga, Tennessee. These are all oh, great destinations that- I gotta um, tell you, I've never been to Chattanooga. What do you see and do in Chattanooga? What makes Chattanooga, Tennessee such a great place to visit is that you've got this city that is um, both natural and urban. It's about a mile away and you are in these beautiful, rocky, uh, sort of mountainous areas, lots of great hiking, beautiful arboretum where you can do the only electric um, car tour in the United States. These really neat electric um, vehicles that were brought over from France, they have. And so you can tour through the Arboretum and all through nature and up the rocks and um, it's totally electric. And so what's wonderful about that is you can still hear the birds, right? You're not like doom bugging through something and you can't hear anything, but they're really fascinating vehicles in that they're articulated arms so they can climb rocks. So you're in these vehicles that can climb, climb. it's fascinating. Chattanooga, Tennessee is the hang gliding capital of the world, one of them. People come from all over to learn how to hang glide because they have these steep rocks that people can just then jump off of. I didn't do that, but (laughs) beginners can. There's a lot of rock climbing as well. And then you've just got this cool city. They've got a fantastic aquarium, a lot of nature and conservation, and it's just a laid back city. So, but I love that when urban centers give us these surprises in these natural ways. Yeah, yeah. And that must have been beautiful to to film. I would think just the hang gliding alone must have made that an incredibly visually rich show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we, you know, you um, go up on top of these. uh, Have you ever heard of it? I guess if you've never been there, there's a place called Rock City. And it's one of the first tourist destinations in the United States. It's like, I mean, for that, like there's... um, it's hard to describe. It's like this, these phenomenal rock formations that these people who then owned this land turned it into these beautiful walks so you can explore and go through the rocks. And it's kind of kitschy, kind of cool, kind of natural. But it's been around since I believe the mid 40s. And they used to paint yeah. signs all up and down the highway on barns. And they were one of the first advertisements for for anything touristy uh, in the United States. So it's a really cool little piece of history there as well. Wow. And you must be about to start working on season seven, I would think. We're halfway through. In fact, I just got back from Jerusalem. I've never been and it was unbelievable. Oh my gosh. Mm. Um, Beautiful, beautiful place. And before Jerusalem, we did a a Route 66 through Illinois. So really different (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) a real wide spectrum to, you know, people like, oh, how do you choose your destinations? I'm like, there's no rhyme and reason. It's just whatever we can afford. (laughs) And then we go for it. (laughs) Right, right. Fascinating. No, Jerusalem. I I just finished. Well, not just I, I a couple of months ago, I finished editing a guidebook to Israel. And it, it was, you know, it's a timeless destination, but it's also a place that was really changed by the pandemic. Uh, there's a lot of, of differences in, in terms of, of how people tour it now. So I was so glad to have three Israeli writers on the ground there yeah. uh, writing about it because it's so rich. It's not a destination 
you can just show up at. No, <laughs> I think you have to you have to know what you're doing. You have to know where to go, know what to see. Otherwise, you waste a lot of time. Uh, but it's what a what an extraordinary place. Yeah, and yeah, history is right in your face. I I agree. It's you know I I I got back maybe five days ago and I I haven't stopped dreaming about it. It just it, it oh. just inhabits your dreams, right? If, even long after you've left. Um, it's just a really magical place. Um, and where you, I bet in some, in some tradition that's considered a blessing. I think so too. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I I just, I can't get out of my head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can't wait to see that. And thank you so much, Samantha, for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Always love having you on. Pauline, thanks for having me. The following message comes from Fromer's sponsor, Allianz Travel Insurance. If you're the type of traveler who leaves everything to the last minute, then annual travel insurance was made for you. Buy your plan today and you're covered for every trip you take in the next 365 days. Enjoy peace of mind from knowing you're protected, whether you're heading out for a weekend getaway or an international vacation. Get the travel protection trusted by more than 70 million American travelers. Get a quote from AllianceTravelInsurance.com. And our next guest is a problem solver. We've had him on the show before. He is Seth Kugel. He writes the Tripped Up column for the New York Times. Hey, Seth, nice to have you back. Hi, Pauline. Thanks for having me. So there's so much to unpack in the in your recent column. You got a letter from a lawyer who bought a refundable ticket from United Airlines, but then didn't get a refund. Fill <laughs> us in on the details. Yeah, the tricky part here is so they bought these tickets, really two separate tickets, one to fly down to Buenos Aires, one to return from Santiago. I think there was a cruise in between. And on one of those legs, somehow they didn't end up getting, maybe on the phone, there was a mix up and they they didn't get it um, classified as refundable. So when they got their email confirmation back, they did what too few of us do. They read it carefully and saw it wasn't <laughs> yeah. quite, it wasn't quite what they had asked for. And, and so they called back Within that 24-hour period where, you know, U.S. law says you can cancel and get a refund, like literally just yeah. get rid of the whole thing and said, hey, can you change this to a refundable ticket? And uh, they said the very nice person on the phone said, sure, it's just going to cost $300 more, which is actually quite a bargain uh, for, for a refundable versus non-refundable ticket and uh, gave them a refundable ticket. Well, it turns out that uh, some health problems came up and they had to ask for a refund before the trip, but they didn't get a refund in cash. They didn't get it refunded to their credit card. They got a travel credit. Well, a yeah, refundable a ticket is travel to, credit. supposed to give you a refund, right? And and these are, this is an elderly couple and they don't know that they're going to, this is an $8,000 ticket. I mean, they don't know that they're ever going to be able to use this. And the key thing here is, and this is the thing that's so unbelievable, what happened on that phone call is what sort of ended up screwing them, which is that the person who was this nice person who said, sure, I can do this for $300 more, the procedure she went through uh, in the computer system was to get the their original flight turned into a travel certificate, a travel credit, and then to use that travel credit 
to repurchase the refundable ticket. But the fact that it had gone through this phase of for one minute being a travel credit meant that the refund months later had to come back in the quote unquote original form of payment. And the original, and that's a really original in quotes, uh, was this one minute long travel certificate. And they just found themselves in this crazy bureaucracy where they knew what had happened. They knew that this was just a little bureaucratic blip and that they were sort of caught up in this in this crazy regulation. And they just couldn't get anyone's attention that could understand what had gone on. And so they had to come to me. And this is a very frustrating victory for me because the only reason I could get their money back is because I write to the media people. Uh, right. I, and I say, hey, this is the New York Times. I think you made a mistake. And of course, the people who are the media people are smart and look at it. And they're like, yep, you're right. We made a mistake. But they couldn't get the problem solved on, on their own. Right, right. And you go through some advice that they give of, of who they should have reached out to. And I found this maddening. They yeah. said, uh, email might not have worked. You should have gone on social media. Why shouldn't email or a phone call have worked? Why did? Why is United putting their best problem solvers uh, in this public forum and only in this public forum? I think that's bad business well, practice. Yeah. Pauline, you seem to be echoing what several <laughs> people wrote to me after the article and enraged that, that they had said this. I actually, when they said it, I kind of took it as like, oh, that's a little piece of advice. Maybe also try social media. But people read it a lot like you read it and said, oh, my God, it's outrageous. Well, I don't, I don't have a Facebook account. I'm not going to go on Facebook and do this. So, yeah, obviously, all of their social media, all of their ways of getting in touch should work equally well. And I'm not actually convinced that they don't. I, I just think huh. they all work badly. Right. I mean, what you right, have is right, you have people right. who are trained to a certain amount on certain normal situations. And when your situation, and they could probably handle my, most normal situations just fine, but when they have to think a little bit outside the box, that's when you get into trouble. And I, and, and this does happen, you know, there's right. a lot of, once in a while, you have a situation that's a little different and they, they're just sort of incapable at their training level in wherever their call center is or wherever they're working from. To, to, to solve it. Well, there was one thing you said early on that I also wanted to highlight. You talked about the 24-hour period after you buy a ticket when changes can be made. Now, you said, I, I want to make sure everybody understands this. This 24-hour period isn't just for refundable tickets. Even if you buy a non-refundable ticket, by law, changes can be made and I gotta say, I always think that refund. Well, I'm a, I'm a cheapskate like you. I never buy refundable tickets because during the pandemic, most of the airlines changed their rules to make it easier to get your money back, or if not get your money back, at least change the ticket. Uh, you know, if it's a refund, a non-refundable ticket. Yeah. Am I wrong? Well yeah, yeah. Well, you're, the keywords there were during the pandemic, and of course, nobody really can agree uh, whether the pandemic is over or not. But the airlines seem <laughs> to think that it is. Um, it is true. Uh, I've gotten a bunch. You know, my life involves getting these emails from people in all kinds of situations. So I, I have seen a few people write in 
uh, thinking that they would still be able to get their money back from a non-refundable ticket, and they ended up with credit, which is actually more right. than the airlines technically have to give you. So you're right. To a certain extent, I think the airlines, a lot of airlines are still allowing you to cancel a trip and give credit. But uh, the mistake people make, and like you and I, Pauline, are very young and vibrant and healthy, of course. But, Damn um, straight. <laughs> yeah. But I, I have gotten <laughs> a bunch of notes from, from more elderly people who – just do mm. not get the non-refundable tickets, and then unfortunately have some because sort of they, a health problem. And they yeah, just they know they'll go. never use that credit. And and I just it's a really it's almost sort of heartbreaking to write them back and say, well, that is what refundable tickets are for, or that is what travel insurance is for. And um, and I also am not a huge fan of travel insurance, and I'm not a huge fan of refundable tickets, but you have to know when it's the right thing for you to use. And you can simply not count on, look, I mean, I wish I could just tell every single person in the world, like, if you get tragically sick, or if you get ill or get diagnosed with a disease or need surgery two days before your trip, that will not get you your money back. There's no, like, uh, law that says, oh, you got sick. And the airlines have to refund you. Sometimes they will give you credit, but that right. is literally what refundable tickets and travel insurance are for. I have a friend who uh, told me very proudly she got refundable tickets. She's in her 50s, no health issues for her and her teenage son to go to Paris. And then they had to, and then they found that the price had dropped. Mm. And because it was a refundable ticket, she got money back, but she still paid too much because it right. was, a, you know, a refundable ticket, which is exponentially more expensive. Uh, yeah. So, so if you're healthy, if you're young, if you can use a plane, an airplane credit, I still think never buy a refundable ticket. I mean, I agree. Although I just think we should stress that they don't have to give you a credit. Uh, that's going to depend huh. on the airline and the time, and there's yeah. no, yeah. there's no rule. I think that they mostly do. But I, I just I I don't know how I would defend someone who said, "Well, everyone else got a credit and I didn't." I, I, I don't think that's I think don't think you can count on that. Uh, basically, you know, if you, you it is a tiny risk still to get a, a non refundable ticket, but a lot of people in their stage of health and life and financial depending on how financially solid they are, it's definitely the right thing to do to to not get a refundable ticket. Right. Well, you end your article talking about. How you had booked an Aero Mexico ticket at a big deal and then realized you'd done it for the wrong date, yeah. called you thought within the 24 yeah. hour period, but then you had to wait online. And I, I love that you knew the rule here. Well, what's the rule if you're on hold and that 24 hour period is running out? Well, I mean, I don't know that I knew the rule before. I sort of figured, I, as I was on hold, I said, uh-oh, I think I'm, I might be in trouble here. And and, uh, and, <laughs> and the, the, this is unfortunately one of the cases where the guy who answered the phone did know the rule and did seem very confident. confident. And he, he said, well, actually, yes, it, it, uh, it, we would allow you to do this. Uh, at the, you know, you didn't, you can be on hold and we would have still allow you to refund it, but you actually called more than 24 hours after you made the reservation. You just called less by than half 24 an hour. hour. Yeah, by 24 hours after you received the email with the confirmation when there was, there was some delay, they didn't send it immediately. So yeah, by half oh. an hour. And if someone, 
someone right someone wrote in and said you know what you should have called back and talked to a manager and, and blah 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 and it's probably true that if i had gone through a great pains i might have been able to do this <laughs> but it actually was just a little something that was just a little bit more convenient for me i could still handle doing this ticket the day that i did and and uh it is also true that if you continuously call back and write back and try every means you can sometimes they will eventually give in to you but huh. you know that's not worth it for everybody i mean that's a real that's like that right. kind of person who's like i've been wronged and it doesn't matter how much time i waste i am going to get this solved not everyone falls into that sort of category yeah. of person Absolutely. I was once on a panel discussion with Peter Greenberg and, and somebody brought up the singles supplement and he huh. said, you just have to argue it. You just have to really push. And I thought, ah, does it still feel like a vacation if you're, you're spending all your time arguing? I think that there, there, there's, there's something about, you know, just let it go if you can. Let it yeah, go if you can pay I'm... for it. Uh, I'm on your side on uh, this one. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just not, I just, I just can't do it. I can't say like, I'm going to waste hours and hours and hours on this and end up making, you essentially end up paying yourself less than minimum wage <laughs> by the time you right? put in all these hours to get, you know, this $400 back or whatever. Hmm, interesting. Well, as always, it's such a pleasure speaking to you and reading the tripped up column in the New York Times. Thank you, Pauline. Appreciate it. I wanted to have our next guest on because she has an incredibly exciting announcement. She's Tanya Sund. She is the head of public relations for Norway, but she's here today to talk about a new development with SAS, also known as Scandinavian Airlines. Hey, Tanya, thank you so much for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. And hi there all, and thank you so much for inviting me. That's really exciting. Well, yes. Tell us what the big announcement is from SAS. So uh, Friday, a couple of days ago, we opened reservations for our first ever commercial flight with an electric aircraft scheduled to take place in 2028. Yes, and let's make this clearer. This isn't just SAS's first electric flight. This is the first electric flight ever to be sold commercially, right? So this size aircraft, uh, volume of seats, I believe so. And we opened reservations for 30 seats for each flight to take place in Norway, Sweden and Denmark. And the seats were sold, uh, sold out in seconds. The interest was wow. enormous in so it is like you're suggesting, it's an historic moment going from this old technology, starting to introduce uh, new uh, low to zero emission aviation also in the commercial space. So this is super exciting. Yeah, no, it is. And for those of our listeners who don't know much about the technology, while electric cars are common, because a battery that runs on electricity is so heavy... This has been a, a harder lift for air travel. It's been harder to create planes that could actually fly uh, with, with more than one or two seats. When it comes to our first inaugural flight in 2028, this will take place on shorter distances. 
What is the distance? Exact distance is uh, yet to be uh, decided. And uh, (laughs) the destination and type of aircraft will be announced closer to the time. But if you look at, for instance, the Norwegian coastline, where we're on Norway's geography, where we'll do uh, one of the first inaugural flights, we're looking at probably somewhere around half an hour is likely. But again, it's yet Uh to be for confirm. sort of the details are yet to be decided. But uh, if you imagine we have... uh, Windy roads, fjords, and tall mountains. So instead hmm. of a long car drive, we can do right. a quick hop A to B. Yeah, no, it's it's exciting. Last summer, I got to tour the Rolls-Royce factory in England, where I met with a whole bunch of engineers who are working on trying to make aviation greener. And they were talking about how Norway was really at the forefront of of these types of initiatives. That has something to do with your geography because you do have shorter distances that that really should be done by plane. You have some islands off the coast that it makes sense to fly to, as well as places, as you said, where you have to go through mountains and winding roads to get to. And so a shorter distance flight makes sense. Uh, But it also has to do with the forward thinking of your government. So, so bravo and and thank you for doing this for the rest of us yeah. uh, it's so well, important that that we that we make aviation more green that this become a sustainable activity can i ask how much the the flight cost <laughs> uh, and first thank you for your compliments and uh, sure the uh, price of uh, the inaugural flights were set at 1,946 kroner, uh, 1946. And that was Mm. to recognize the year that SAS was founded. And it Ah. is, like to say, you know, the Scandinavian nature and also SAS has since its inception really had this forward-thinking, innovative nature. And uh, our founder, Wallenberg, he's called, he even is quoted as saying upon the Uh, founding SES, that uh, moving from the old to the new is the only tradition worth preserving. And I think Mm. it's a beautiful quote that really illustrates also what we're doing here. We obviously strongly believe in aviation. We need to connect people, cultures, uh, businesses across long distances. And aviation is efficient way to do so, but we need to make flying sustainable. We need to go from today's technology to low and zero emission technology. And that's SES commitment to really drive this development and be part of it. This this is what this is all about. Before I leave you, will you translate what that amount of kroner is in either euros or dollars? Quick translation, uh, just over a hundred dollars. Just over okay, so it's not it's not a thousand dollar flight. I was wondering for yeah, half an no, hour. Yeah, it's, so it's a symbolic sum, and the reservations were completed in seconds. So that was yes. awesome. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for appearing on the travel show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and we're looking forward to twenty twenty eight. Yes, absolutely. And that's it for today's show. I thank you so much for listening. And to those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. I'll see you next week.
Fortune K.